Amen. Well, thank you, worship team, and thank you, church, for being here this morning. If you have a Bible with you, open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 7 and a lot of other scriptures this morning. So uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, that's okay. The scriptures will be on the screen for you as we go uh, through the sermon today so you can read along that way as well. Well, hey, we are starting a new series today. Uh, So this is going to be a six-week topical series called Home Life. So we're going to be looking at how we spend our time and how we live our lives when we are at home in all kinds of different ways. So we're going to get into it here in just a second. But first, uh, let me go ahead and pray. Let's ask Jesus to bless us with his word and work it deep into our hearts this morning. So would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you so much that you are with us. Lord, that you have given us uh, the ability to be here and worship God, that you've given us the uh, opportunity to walk in community with fellow believers here at church this morning. Lord, you've given us the commission to be a faithful witness in this world for your glory and your name. And I pray, Lord, that we would do those three things, that we would be a church who worships, walks, and witness, Lord, for your glory, for your name. So as we look over these next six weeks, Jesus as to our home lives and and how we live at home and and the relationships we have and all the things that go along with that. Lord, I pray that you would work your word, the truth of God, deep into our hearts and that true transformation, that real lasting change that can only come by the power of your Holy Spirit working through your word, that that would come to our lives, that would come to our homes. So Jesus, show us that. Is possible and show us how that can happen today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I think one of the bravest things my wife and I have ever done is take our three uh, preschool, kindergarten age kids to Ikea. Um, brave, that's the right word, right? Uh, so here's the thing, all right? If you've never been to Ikea, it's a big, giant furniture home store and it's essentially a maze, okay? But they're genius because they, they force you to walk through the maze, okay? So you can't even get out of that place. Like, there are no exit doors until you get to the very end. It's like one of those mazes the kids do when they're at, you know, a restaurant with the kids' menu. It's like you have to find your way through, okay? That's Ikea, right? So here's the thing. As you're walking through their maze, as they're forcing you through like a lab rat, right? As you're going through there, they have all these different homes that are staged, right? So homes in different kinds of rooms that could be in your house, and they're all set up perfectly, but they do a really good job there of making it look like it's been lived in. So as you're walking through, you'll see a notebook on a desk in the office supply area, and it looks like someone was just left their work there, right? You'll, you'll walk through the bedroom area, and you see all the different pictures and things like that. And so there's pictures of people, and, and you know they really should be more realistic. They should show you a picture of someone pulling out their hair in agony after spending six hours trying to put together one of their coffee tables, right? If you've ever bought, if you've ever bought furniture from Ikea, you know what I'm talking about. So that's the trick. You buy the furniture, it's a little cheaper, but you have to assemble it at home, no matter what it is, okay? Trust me, I've, I've been there plenty. I'm an expert on assembling Ikea furniture. But it's, it's a unique store because what they're showing you is, hey, this is what your home could look like, right? Basically, if you lived in a studio apartment in Manhattan, but that's beside the point. 
This is what your home could look like. And, and so here, here's a taste of that. Here's what you could be living in. It's really a genius marketing strategy. But if you're not careful, walking through Ikea or Home Goods, Target, any, any home store that has these staged areas where you see this picturesque version of what your home could be, if you're not careful as you're walking through those stores, it can really make you feel a little dissatisfied with your own home. You've known the feeling. You walk through Pottery Barn and everything just looks so pretty and nice and so well kept. And then you go to your own house and you're like, this is a disaster. So you feel that tension. You realize that there's a tension between what your home actually is versus what it could be. And I think that same feeling is not just true with the physical aspect of our physical houses. It's true in our hearts spiritually as well. That tension that we feel when we think about what our home lives could be like, should be like, if we were really living for the Lord in every area of our lives versus what they actually are like. I think we see that in our relationships in the home. I think we see it in how we choose to spend our time, how we choose to spend our money. So over the next six weeks, we're going to talk a lot about that tension in the middle between God's design for the home and what we are actually experiencing in this broken world with our broken lives full of sin. And this is true no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter what circumstance of life you're in. So this series applies to everybody because the things we're going to talk about are universal truths according to God's word. That, so whether you're, whether you're single living on your own, whether you're single living with roommates, whether you're married without kids, married with kids at home, married empty nesters, single parent, college student, retired, widowed, you get the picture, right? What we see in God's word is applicable for anyone who spends their time at home. We all feel the tension between God's design for our lives and that brokenness we actually experience. Because, you know, our home life really exposes our truest self. We are our truest selves when we're at home because nobody's looking. We're not trying to impress anyone. We're not putting on that smile that we bring to church with us, right? I mean, you could, if you have young kids, you know how it is on a Sunday morning, trying to get them dressed and trying to get them to church. And then by the time you walk into church, it's like, all right, smiles, everybody. <sighs> when we're at home, we're just ourselves. Sometimes that can be scary. So here's the thing. You may not have the money. You may not have the space. You may not have the skill that you need or that you want to remodel your house into your dream home. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, you're, you have all the resources you would ever need for your home to be remodeled, spiritually speaking. You can make the changes you need to make. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about our homes. The main point of this series that we're going to see over these next six weeks is this. We should model our earthly homes in light of our heavenly home. So as we think about the remodeling of our lives spiritually, the renewing of our homes, spiritually speaking, aligning ourselves with God and His design, 
We first need to look to our heavenly home. We need to look to the word of God that talks about where heaven is and what what it will look like to live with God forever. But I want us to first look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. You can just look on the screens with me. You see, in Matthew 6, Jesus was teaching his disciples how to pray. He was giving them kind of a model prayer. And he was telling them about the kinds of things they should pray for. But look at what he says. He starts out this model prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, Jesus is telling his disciples, whatever is true in heaven should be what followers of Jesus strive for here on earth. That's the model. And that includes our home life. That it includes that. So before we get into the details of, of how we should live at home and the rest of this series, I think first it's very important for us to solidify two things in our minds before we even go forward about all the details later. And that's this, two truths we must embrace. One, the permanence of our heavenly home, the one we're looking to, and two, the temporariness of our earthly homes, the ones we're currently living in. So if we understand the significance of those two things, then here's the thing, whatever matters to God in heaven, if we understand these truths, will matter to us here and now in our homes. So let's start there. What does it mean, first, to embrace the truth that your heavenly home is your permanent home? That's your permanent address. I did a quick Google search this week for kitschy sayings about a home. Here's what came up. Home is where the heart is. Oh, that's sweet, right? Home isn't a place, it's a feeling. I don't even really know what that means. <laughs> but it sounds nice. This was my favorite though. A home is a place where you feel you belong and your Wi-Fi connects automatically. <laughs> there you go. So here's the deal. There's nothing wrong, by the way, if you have any of those painted on a nice canvas hanging in your dining room. There's, I'm not judging you, okay? There's nothing wrong with that. But if you think about it, Home, it's kind of a difficult word to define. It is kind of a difficult concept to define because in today's modern world, many of us move around a lot. We live in multiple different cities over our lifetime. And even if you grew up here in Jacksonville and you've always lived here, perhaps you've lived in multiple apartments, multiple houses. So these kitschy sayings, when we Google these things in home stores and everywhere else we see them, what they're trying to communicate to us is that the idea of home is mobile, that it's not permanent, that it's on the go. It doesn't have to be a permanent place. Now, that may be true and is in many ways about our earthly homes, but there's a greater truth that should bring us such great comfort and security and knowing that we do have a permanent home that will last forever. First Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again 
to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept where? In heaven for you. So he says, Peter says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what Peter is pointing us to is that this great salvation that we have will not be fully realized, fully complete until we see and we get to this place that is unchanging, imperishable, unfading. That salvation we have in Christ will last forever in a home in heaven that will last forever. There's a permanence here that Peter is stressing. He's very clear that God in his mercy through the sacrifice of Jesus has secured a heavenly home for those who have put their faith not in themselves, not in this earth, but in him and him alone. Paul said it this way. I love how succinct Paul says this in Philippians 3 verse 20. Look at this on the screen. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the lord jesus christ paul says no 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 no. listen your, your driver's license may say that you're a permanent resident of jacksonville florida that you have this permanent address and when you fill out paperwork that's it but your first place of citizenship if you are a follower of jesus is not whatever circle drive it is in heaven with Christ, that is where you are first and foremost a citizen, a citizen of the kingdom of God. So Paul and Peter both recognize that our true permanent address, it's not our street number or our driver's license, our permanent home, our true home is with the Lord forever, living in his presence. But I want to take a moment and explain why that's possible. To understand the significance that we have a permanent home in heaven, we need to know how, what great lengths God had to go to to secure that. Theologian T. Desmond Alexander explains this very well in his book, From Eden to the New Jerusalem, also in an article in the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. And I shared this with you before during a sermon a while back, but I want to share some of it with you again because I want us to see in this effort, the effort that God has put into giving you a home. This is how much he desires to give you a home. Listen to this. Alexander says, the opening chapters of Genesis assume that the earth will be God's dwelling place. In other words, God created the world for him to live amongst us, for humans and God to live together. That was the design when God created this good world with no sin in it. Before the sin came into the world, it was designed for God and his creation, humans to come together and live together forever. That was the plan all along, his intention from the very beginning. And so God told the first humans he ever created, Adam and Eve, he said, be fruitful and multiply. So in other words, he wanted the human race to continue to expand and multiply around this globe. He wanted this this big ball hanging in the middle of space to be just a reflection of his glory. Where he could live intimately with his creation. 
where there would be no more suffering or pain, no tears, because we are with God in his presence and everything is perfect. But what did Adam and Eve do? They didn't want that. They didn't want the good design that God had for their home. They didn't want to answer to his authority in all areas of their life. They wanted their own to be their own authority. They wanted to be their own captain. And so they took matters into their own hands and said, God, thanks, but no thanks. And so they believed this lie that they could be like God and that they could still have God in their lives, but yet still answer only to themselves. And that is a lie from Satan himself that they gave into that they believed. And so they sinned which is that's essentially the definition of sin, right? And so they sinned, and, and now God is separated from them. They've been separated from God, and it has ruined everything. That action has been inherited in our own sinful nature, and it ruins this world because it ruins our first and foremost, our relationship with God himself. We're separated from him. And when you're separated from God, when you're living outside of his design for your life, do you really think that your interpersonal relationships are going to go well? No. And that's why we see the suffering we do in this world. That's why we see the injustice we do in this world. It's because humanity has rejected a good and gracious God and that has separated us from his design for the way the world should function and therefore all of our horizontal interpersonal relationships are destroyed and it also means we have no home no permanent home so the rest of the bible story do you know what it's about <laughs> from the garden of eden forward and that's in the third chapter when this all takes place of the whole bible so the rest of the bible you know what it is it's god on a rescue mission to make the earth his dwelling place again to restore the relationship of humanity with him again. And so God does some significant things throughout the Old Testament to represent his presence, that he is coming to dwell among his people. So in Exodus, he created the tabernacle. And then later on, he created the temple. These were things that represented God's presence. It represented his dwelling among his people that he called out to follow him in this world. But many years pass, and that temple was destroyed, and then it was rebuilt again. And then finally, something very historic happened that would change the way that God would dwell among his people. Listen to this. God himself comes to earth. He brings his presence down to us. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the Word, Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, the possibility of us living forever in the same home, the same place as God, that was shattered by our sin. Our own sin separates us from God, it makes us spiritual orphans without a home. We have no place to belong. But, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, Paul says it this way, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to make whole again, to bring into his presence again, to have a relationship with again, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive what? 
adoption as sons. We, the spiritual orphans who separated ourselves from God because of our own choice to sin and answer to our own authority and not God, God says, I'm going to do something about that. I'm going to come down to them because they cannot get to me. As hard as they may try, as much effort as they may put into being a good moral person or good church attendance or whatever they think will impress me, none of it will because they are utterly sinful and so I'm going to come to them. They are dead in their trespasses and sins, so I'm going to come to them. And God, as a loving father, adopts. He adopts you into his family. You become like a firstborn son, getting the inheritance. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. That word Abba is a word that, is, that indicates intimacy. It's an intimate, loving, tender word to call your father, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you, and if a son, then an heir through God. That's what God gives you. When you turn from your sin and trust Jesus Christ, would he sin, that he would send his own son to us. Our sin left us spiritually orphaned and there's nothing we can do no matter how hard we try but to get back to God we can't do anything but his presence because Jesus died in your place paying the penalty for our sin when you turn from that wandering when you turn from being a spiritual nomad with no home and no place to rest your head that may be true in this earthly world because of your circumstance I don't know what your circumstance is and maybe you don't have a place to lay your head, but I want you to know that every single one of us in here, no matter the size of our home or our bank account, every single one of us, spiritually speaking, were spiritual nomads. We were orphans, but look what Jesus did. Look what he did for you. When you turn to him, his work for you, it's credited to your account, and God the Father adopts you into the family. Now you have a home. Now you have a home. Now you have a seat at the table. John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, Jesus said, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. So what about the tension now? That's where we're going. But what, what about now? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, Paul's saying, if you trust Jesus to be your Savior, you have a heavenly home. And right now, in that tension you feel where your home is maybe not the way it should be, Paul says, guess what though? Even on this earth, you, God is building us into a home, a house, the household of God, the church. The Holy Spirit of God resides in you. So we have a mission then on this earth. While we wait for our heavenly home, 
We have a mission on this earth. So when you turn from your sin and you put your faith in Jesus, this all becomes yours, a heavenly home, but the church becomes what you are a part of as well, and it leads you to embrace that second truth today. So we've talked now about the permanence of our heavenly home and what God went through to secure that. Let's talk about the temporariness of our earthly homes. 1 Peter again, chapter 1, verse 6. Peter continues, he says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So Peter says, he's basically acknowledging two things here. One, that we will experience trials. So this world, your home, is not going to look the way you want it to look. It's not always going to function the way you think it should, the way God thinks it should. Now, Peter's writing to Christians here who are trying to live for Christ while immersed in a culture that does not accept, much less live by the teachings of Jesus. That's the context he's writing in. But that's not that different than today. So the kinds of trials Peter is talking about are ones pertaining to persecution of some kind or or pressure to cave in and live the same kind of lifestyles as non-Jesus followers, unbelievers. And you probably feel that tension in your home. If you're you're walking with the Lord, if if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you're reading the Bible and you're, you're trying really hard, you're coming to community group, to learn and, and, and have, you know, build friendships with other Christians, right? If these things are happening in your life, those are great things that God has ordained for us to participate in. But when you go home, you're still going to feel that tension. You're still going to feel the sinful desires of your heart start bubbling up to the surface. And you're going to feel those temptations to look at the world and how the world says we should live And how the world says we should conduct ourselves at home and the priorities we should set with our finances, with our relationships, all the things, in other words, that will make you happy. That's what the world is. It's just one big advertisement for how we can be happy. And it's so tempting for us to start to give in to that pressure that, oh, maybe that's right. Maybe if I did have this, I would truly be happy. Maybe if I did do this or if this person was in my life or whatever you may say, right? Anything that you think you have to have that you think will bring you peace and security and happiness, the Bible calls that an idol. And so Peter is acknowledging that the tension is real. Though now for a little while you may experience various trials, but how we respond to and deal with these trials, that great tension, in other words, that will show how you respond to those things will show whether or not your faith is really genuine. Look what Peter says next in verse 7. He says, so, okay, you're going to experience these things. Why? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, all these things that you're going through, the temptations, the pressure, the stress in your home life right now, How you respond to those things, God can use them to truly test the genuineness of your faith and dedication to him. And maybe that's what he's doing now. Because Peter says that when Christ returns, when Jesus comes back, you will be proven to be faithful and obedient to what God gave you on this earth. So Peter acknowledges the trials in verse 6. 
But he also acknowledges that they are for a little while. He emphasizes the temporariness of our earthly lives. You know, people often tell Christy and I to enjoy your kids while they're young because they grow up fast. I believe that. And we're trying to soak that in. But, you know, it's easy for us to see how quickly life stages pass us by, isn't it? And how quickly do five years go by? How quickly does 10 years go by? How quickly does a decade, decades go by? And we just look back at our lives and say, where did the time go? We feel the temporariness physically. We feel it emotionally. We feel it spiritually. This earth is not. It just can't be our permanent home because it's so temporary itself. So therefore, how we spend our time at home matters greatly. How we spend our time in the short amount of time that you have on this earth, it matters. With no time to waste, we should see our homes as outposts for God's redemptive mission in this world. We're going to talk a lot about that next week. But this is something that you have to make a conscience choice, a conscious choice to pursue. To be intentional with how you live your life at home. Joshua in the Old Testament, he knew. He knew that this was a choice that we each intentionally have to make. Every household must make. Whether you're a single parent or you're married or divorced or widowed, whatever your life stage, you have to make this choice. We must choose. We must choose to form our home life around the right allegiances, around the right priorities. Here's what Joshua said. Briella read this for us in worship uh, just a minute ago. Joshua 24, 14 and 15. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So if you put that in a modern day context, you could say it this way. Hey, listen, church, y'all got to choose. You're going to have to choose whether you're going to serve the God of finances and wealth and success, whether you're going to serve the God of any kind of idolatry, love and relationships, whether you're going to serve these gods that can be good things, but if you make them an ultimate thing in your life, you cannot truly set the right allegiances. You cannot set the right priorities in your home. So church, you have to choose for me and my house. Are we going to serve the Lord? Are we going to put his kingdom first and then see how the rest of everything else falls underneath that? Or are we going to just put God on the shelf or in the co-pilot seat or somewhere somewhere lower down on the totem pole so that when we get time, if we have the resources, if we feel like it, we'll include him? It's convicting. It's challenging, but it's an intentional choice. 
The truth is, you've already made the choice. It's not like you haven't made this choice. I mean, however you're living right now proves that what choice you've made. The good news is, if you've made the wrong choice to live for another God, there's hope that you can turn around. God is forgiving. When we come to him and confess that maybe we don't have our priorities right, maybe our heart's allegiance is drifted in a direction far away from his truth and his glory and his, his design for our lives. If we confess these things, God is a forgiving father. God has a design and a purpose for your home life. But we live still with sin in our hearts. So that tension is real. But if we embrace the permanence of what we've been given through Jesus, that eternal salvation that is secured, no one can take it from you. No matter what ups and downs you go through in this life, that is the rock. Christ is the rock. He is the one constant. He is the one who never changes. He is the one who will always love you through every dark valley and every high mountaintop. He is the one constant in a life where your home has so many variables and there's emotional issues and maybe some dysfunction, but let me tell you something, that Christ is your rock. And if we embrace that in the temporariness of this life and if we embrace the permanence that we have, in our homes, they may not be picture perfect like a nice staged room in a home store. But they will be moving on the right path with all the bumps along the way. We will be able to say these words with the Apostle Paul and truly mean them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, listen to this. So we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen say it with me are eternal this world it's just not your real home so because that's true let's model let's model our lives let's model our homes after our true home our heavenly home and may we be able to faithfully say, as Jesus taught us to pray, Lord, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my home as it is in heaven. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we need grace. We need so much grace. We need forgiveness. And Lord, we just need humility to admit that our homes are probably not the way they should be. 
So Lord Jesus, I pray that you would give us great grace over these next several weeks as we look at very specific topics about all the different variables that may be going on and the tension we feel at home between your design and how they actually are. Jesus, would you give us great grace? Because, Lord, the struggle is real. And you know that. Because you lived on this earth. You came and you saw and you experienced the brokenness of this world. And so you know what it's like to have your heart broken. You know what it's like to have people betray you, your own family. You know what it's like to not have a home. But Jesus, the reason you know is because you came here to experience those things so that you could give us a home. So Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for our sins in our place. That should have been us paying that penalty for our own sin, our own choice to rebel against you. Thank you, Jesus, for stepping in and taking our place as only you could do. And Lord, we thank you for raising from the grave to give us the hope of permanence, that death is not the end, that there is a permanent home. Lord Jesus, thank you for raising from the grave to give us that permanent truth, that you are alive. And in your Father's house, there are many rooms that you have gone to prepare a place for us and that when you return, Lord, may we be found faithful, trusting not ourselves, not giving in to the temptations of this world, of what the world says would make our homes happy. Lord, may we be found faithful and obedient and fruitful because we know we are living for another world. This is not our true home. So Lord, help us. Help us to prioritize our lives according to your will, your kingdom. May it come into our homes and in our lives as it is in heaven. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.